Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you ask them to name three geniuses, they probably wouldn't say Einstein, Newton, you know, they'd go... Brent, Partridge, Sessions, it's Flats and Shanks. So, just just don't expect too much. Um, and, and if you've got some questions, I just, I start to have a little think about some questions. There'll be a couple of periods uh, during the night where you can ask a few questions. Um, hang on, hang on. I'm talking, yeah, right? I tell you what, how about you ask a question to Sam, right? Having a chat earlier on, she's from Cardiff, and uh, it'd be interesting to ask Sam why he was in Jump. Jump is like air hop, just full of full of kids. Why Sam was in air hop last week, and he wasn't there with any kids. It's <laughs> it's all a bit weird. And she did actually say, "You're not attracted to Sam. You don't think he's that all that much, actually." And um, maybe you could tell him that as well. But uh, but look, think think of some good questions. There will be some breaks for some uh, for some drinks. Um, we we, yeah, we need to thank uh, the Huntsman for hosting us as well. So um, uh, so we've got Georgina. Is she is she around, Georgina? No, she's she's gone she's gone for a poo. Um, and uh, Darren and Jenny from Fuller's and Luke from Guinness as well. Um, I, sh- I should probably introduce myself. I, I have had a few mentions on this podcast. I believe there was. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I have a pretty serious job, but I, I sort of came out of a management meeting, and then this this bloke came up to me and was like, uh, "Hey, got your own shoes on, have you?" I was like, yeah? What are you on about? Your, your shoes, you're not wearing Tramp's shoes. I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking clear what you're on about. What are you talking about? Oh, Flats, Flats is, oh my God. So I'm, I'm kind of getting these, th- that was the story where Flats, when I, when I couldn't get into a nightclub and uh, I just improvised and I went outside, I swapped my, um, my sort of trendy trainers with a pair of with Tramp's shoes. And it was, it, that, that's fine, I think, but... I probably shouldn't have taken his socks as well. I, I took his socks and 
But I got into the nightclub and we had a, we had a brilliant night. Um, but look, the guys are about to come out any minute now. Uh, just a few house rules. Like, by all means, take photos, but please don't record. Um, I don't quite know why. I, I just don't think they like the idea of um, just some light uh, flashing in their faces and things like that. But take, t- take photos, but just don't film. Uh, we'll have a little break for drinks and beers. Think some questions. Um, I think the guys are going to do their own intro, so we'll, uh, we'll welcome them shortly. Um, for those of you who haven't seen Shanks uh, in real life, um, just don't stare at him. Um, <laughs> like he is just bright white. Um, uh, he is really, really ugly. Um, so th- I-, I think they'll do the intros in a minute, but uh, enjoy. And I'll be back. There'll be a roaming mic, so just put your hand up if you want to ask a question, and I'll just pop up uh, a bit later on. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome your two hosts for the evening with 80... How many Wells caps do you get? 70. 70, show off. 78 caps, two World Cups, two Grand Slams and a Lions Tour between them. It is Flats and Shanks. Hello. Hello, thank you. Hello, how's it going? Cheer up, can hell. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode... Ten. ten of ten, thank you, of our weekly podcast. I'm David Flatman. I'm Tom Shanklin. Okay, Tom? Yep, could we get a bit of a cheer for that? Yeah. Hey, thank you. I'm driven 100 miles round trip for silence. Um, <laughs> thank you very much to, to Matt Powell for those kind introductions. Oh, no, he tucked right into you, mate. Uh, Matt Powell is a classic example of not to mess with fireworks on, uh, on bonfire <laughs> night, right? He had a fire on his face when he was younger and his, his dad tried to put it out with a hammer. Or it might have been a compass, I don't know. Is it, it's interesting that we should be here, actually, because um, I haven't been in the Huntsman for a few year, quite a few years now, seven or eight years, maybe more. Uh, and the reason I haven't been in is because, and no one seems to know this here, it's obviously quite a high turnover of staff, but I'm currently banned from the Huntsman. <laughs> That's a true story. And it, there's a little bit of uh, altercation up here, but it was all in-house, you know, it was all in-house, so it was fine. But I think um, Matt, who just... Uh, Warmed you up for us, Matt Powell, ex-Saracens, Harlequins, Worcester Warriors, made Dally Morris's dream team, 0405. Matt, just a, Matt, Matt's got a mic on him, I think. He's going to be roving around for questions and all that sort of stuff. Matt, is it, was it the night that we got banned, the night that you um, rugby tackled that girl out the front and got arrested and were on the front page of the Bath Chronicle? True or false? Uh, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't arrested, but made the front page of the Cron. Oh, well done, mate. Congratulations. Good to have you on board. Uh, right, we have got a um, very, very special guest tonight, haven't we, Tom? Yeah, we have. It's a bit of a surprise. I, I'm sure you don't know who it is. Um, <laughs> Cardiff Blues, Wales, 74 caps, um, 25 points. I'm trying to work out whether that's five tries or five drop goals and two tries. Um, Hang on. Yeah, yeah all right. Thanks, I wrote it down, mate, so it must be true. Um, 2013 Lions captain, where... They toured Australia and won. Whey. 2017 Lions captain, where they toured New Zealand and they basically won, didn't they? Well, there was a draw. Please, a tough CV to beat. Please welcome to the stage Sam Kennedy Warburton. Keep going, keep going. It's a great song. Literally, the the best fun we've had planning for this pod. We've been here here like an hour now planning for this pod. 
And the best fun we had was deciding what song we were going to play. And as soon as that came on, we both pissed ourselves. I don't know why. Do you like how, do you like how um, the, stage, we got the stage The stage is the right width, but, but only the... the <laughs> Peanut, can you sit Warby's mic on, mate? Fuck. How hard is it? Gotcha. Can you see how Shank, the, the stage is the right width, but you know how we, we do things properly on Flats and Shanks, there's no expense spared. Unfortunately, the, the final seventh of our stage is a step, so Shanks is sitting on the little low chair. It's like I quite the, like it. It's like the naughty little step, isn't it? That'll teach, teach me for trying to take Dave's sister out for a date, won't it? <laughs> that is actually true. He did actually try and date my sister a few years ago, and I only found out because my mum told me, my mum's going to listen to this for Christ's sake, my mum told me, she said, are you looking forward to seeing Ellie? She said, looking forward to seeing Ellie at the weekend. I said, well, I'm not seeing her, I'm playing. I should come up to see Shanks, they're going out for dinner. I was like, you fucking what? <laughs> and he got, he's like, damn it, he wanted to try and do it without me finding out. Anyway, the people's elbow came in, don't worry about that. That didn't happen. So anyway, um, Flats, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah good. What have you been up to? Oh, loads. Loads. We've been to Georgia. Um, we spoke about this a little bit on our last pod, because we were... In Georgia. What day did we do it in Georgia? Didn't do anything, mate. Whatever. Um, no, what day did we do the pod? Uh, we did it on a Tuesday, I think. Yeah, it was quite an uh, interesting experience, Georgia, because basically we had this um, idea where Shanks has got a mate at BBC Wales, and we've done a couple of bits before, and Shanks has this idea and says, we should go to Georgia and, you know, have a bit of fun in Georgia and dig below the surface. And the email's like 35 words long over a Diet Coke in Cardiff one day after the pod. And like 15 minutes later, it comes back. Definitely, we're on. Flight's booked. It was like that quick. And we didn't really know why we were going out there. And the truth is, now we're back. I'm still not quite sure why we went out there. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what we did. But for me, it was a bit of a case of leave your, your dignity in the airport. Um, <laughs> I, I had to it? wear a wrestling outfit. Um, I had to get massaged by some... Some guy that looked like your father, David. It's on the BBC website now, so have a look. Um, if you're looking for any content, don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, but it's but going out. Every, everyone, everyone out there looks exactly like Flats. You know, he yeah. is. You know, they, they've got they've got a the little bit of flat bit at the top of their head there. Um, I haven't got that. A uh, little that. bit. I haven't got that. Have I got that? Uh, slightly, yeah. Got that. Um, got and for one, mate, put a top on as well. It's disgusting. You can't just sit there with your top off. <laughs> Pepper Pig. Um, <laughs> Warby, Warby, lovely to have you here. Um, what, what have you been up to? Because you've got a bit of a, a poorly neck, haven't you? Yeah, I just went neck up six weeks ago, so I was off my feet for the first couple of weeks with that. Obviously, I, had nothing, well, I didn't train for a whole week, a whole month, did nothing for a month, and then um, back in doing little bits of physio and stuff with the guys now. So I'm back on my feet, you know, back on the horse a bit now, so... Um, it's a boring old thing being injured, but you're getting used to routine now. So sixth operation under the belt, <laughs> 29 years of age. So um, good advent for rugby. Well, imagine having a month off training, Shanks. Oh, Cannot imagine that. God. Cannot imagine that. Try five years, Warby. Get that down your neck, mate. <laughs> I want to know something, right? You're. Um, <clears throat> I, I have got to clear up as well. I do have a kid. Right, because somebody yeah. mentioned I was in jump. <laughs> yeah, that was Pauli, yeah. Yeah, I have got a kid, so I wasn't just in. I was in the back. I was like, I'm coming off really bad there. So <laughs> just to confirm, I do have a little girl, all right? Yeah, all I right. Wasn't in, I wasn't in a soft play, just watching was all, she, these, was... all these under fives. <laughs> was she there? She was. She wasn't at the time. <laughs> she was. She was. Oh, she was there. Of course, she was there. You just, oh, you just, went, you just went there for the showers, yeah? <laughs> oh no! Can we cut that bit out? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, of course we can. Bloody, we're going to go in there. Actually, I've got to time this. Yeah, actually, I, wanna, I do want to ask something, Warby, because you're not, they don't call it centrally contracted, it's dual contract or something, so blues and WIU. Yeah, dual contract. Dual contract. My, my interpretation of that is um, the rock star players like you get put on these deals and for the, you play the Wales games when you're fit and you play Lions and that sort of stuff, but you play the big games for the Blues and then once you've played those, it's basically, basically beach weights and Caesar salads and you get paid more than everyone else for doing roughly fuck all. Is that, is that, like, is that about accurate? Mate, that's bang on. <laughs> <laughs> Shanks, do you ever get offered one of those, boy? Yeah. <laughs> Jamie did. Jamie got offered one. Yeah. Even start me on him. <laughs> He's back in, mate. He's back in the dog. He is back in. He is. Yeah. Um, good luck to him. Um, that's what I say. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so no. He's... He got, he got, Shanks got 70 cats, but Jamie Roberts stole his life. He's absolutely stolen his life, <laughs> his fame, all his titles. Yeah, he, he had a really good quote, actually, in the, in the paper recently. It said, uh, it was about the 2008, because he fractures his skull. He goes into Sterling Mortlock, fractures his skull. And he says, oh, I knew it was serious when I could taste brain fluid down the back of my, uh, my throat. Um, I started thinking, well... Well, you've tasted brain fluid before, have you? Because <laughs> I, know, I know you're a medical doctor, um, but it's, you know, it's a strange thing to know the taste of, I thought. Um, and, the, you know, he is a, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. Do boys ever use him for doctor stuff? Like A little bit, because we have a team doctor as well, so he often sits in on that. So um, he used to do little, his little, um, what do you have, his little hospital set up in the corner of the team room. Test, yeah. And uh, you'd, you'd go well. see him, you'd go see him. And I... I had, I went to see him because I, I went to see him because I had a bit of a bit of a cold and stuff. And I said, oh, you know, hi Jamie, I've got a bit of a bit of a cold. He goes, right, take your clothes off. <laughs> I said, well, well, where should I put them? He said, right next to mine. <laughs> oh Christ! This is the problem, like, right? Shanks and I have been acquaintances for quite a long time, and still now, like today, the lads who were here beforehand, the lads from Guinness, that. We're chatting away, we're having a perfectly normal conversation about moving house, about walking the dog, whatever it is. And Shanks lends in with five minutes, and then right at the end, you realise all of it has been bollocks, all for the sake of a punchline. <laughs> I don't fucking know this guy. I just do not know this guy at all. But uh, Yeah, but what have you, what have you been up to today? You've been, have you had a business uh, day, haven't you? Yeah, no, today there was a release of the Lions DVD, so I sort of was... Um, Bought loads with you, yeah, for these Pulled, a, pulled on <laughs> to that, yeah. Two each, guys, two each. I did about... I did two hours of interviews first and then an hour and a half signing and then another two hours of interviews and then I come down for you boys so I've been looking forward <laughs> to this all day so another uh, interview this is yeah. the nice bit yeah were you signing in um, as HMV in Cardiff was it yeah where's next mate fucking John Menzies <laughs> <laughs> I was like HMV still open I was like Woolworths will be next all the big joints <laughs> in it mate well done <laughs> no things are going great what for you rock star rock star so, things are going well for you mate well done Any other questions? Uh, I'm all right. So what we want to do tonight is um, kind of, as you might imagine, I take it all of you listen to the podcast. There might be a few plus ones who don't, but um, I think you might be all of our listeners, actually, for all we know. Um, it's, it's pretty unplanned. It's unscripted. Um, we want you to stick your hands up whenever you want and ask about stuff. And as is always the way, or often the way, um, you know, no one wants to put their hand up and be first, uh, but just... One of you get over that and the rest will follow. Shanks has, for the first time ever, Shanks has brought with him, like, he brought an itinerary, right? He printed out, he sent me an itinerary on email, and I was like, this has got to be some sort of joke. <laughs> he's got loads of stuff with him, and I think someone's moved it, fortunately, but he's got, like, info packs for me and Warby. He's got, like, results, 
team sheets from the weekend. It's like, are you joking me, mate? Bore I'm, off. I'm like, <laughs> properly Arcala tonight. Uh, no, we have to be, we have to be prepared. Uh, we've also got some polo shirts, um, which have been signed by Sam Warburton. Um, some Guinness polo shirts. There is some London Pride polo shirts as well, but unless anyone's got a silver pen, they just. Be able to see it. There is. I mean, we we love um, Guinness and London Pride, and we do love that. And actually, two pints of Guinness would be lovely that we were promised about 15 minutes ago. It never arrived. It's, Unfortunate, isn't it? Um, thank you. Uh, please, now thank you. Oh, here they come. My gorgeous barmaid, Luke. Thank you very much. How about that? They are real beer, these. They're actually not actually product placement. What well I mate. Thank you very much. Chop it. They are... No, no, chop But they are... They've got these little Guinness T-shirts, and they are... Um, I want to be open and honest with you guys. They're the worst stash I've ever seen. Uh, they're absolutely terrible pieces of kit. Um, and the guys at Guinness have kindly brought them down, but let's be, it was basically what was in the footwell of their Toyota Legacy or Subaru Leg, whatever it is, Toyota Charisma, 1.4 diesel. They are absolutely terror kit. Yeah, but they, they won't show any spill marks. Um, or won't, they won't show beer marks on them or sweat patches, which or, is good news. Or blood, so... Yeah. Right. <laughs> Pretty decent for a night out in Bath. They won't show any blood. They won't show any blood. They won't show any blood, hopefully. Oh, did you... Um do you see, we've, we've just retweeted it, actually. Do you see, the, we've been out in Georgia, and they scored a hell of a try against Canada. Oh, did you, anyone see that? The try that something Yashvili scored. Matty Yashvili, uh, his name Matty is. Yashvili. He was a scrum half. And I remember I was having a little chat with him in the, in the gym, because we went into the gym. We went to the Georgia camp, and we were trying to have a bit of a conversation with the players. I mean, everyone just wanted to talk to flats. Um, I thought I spoke the language, which was weird. In a very yeah, in a very aggressive accent. But I remember having a chat with him, and we were talking, and, and uh, I said to him, I said, look, mate, you know, just never, never, ever, ever give up. You know, just keep running all the way, never give up. And uh, I think you saw that with the try he scored. It was amazing. Um, if, you if you haven't seen it, we've retweeted it on our Twitter page. So have a look. It is actually a classic. Um, and they, they're coming to Wales next week. And they're actually Warby. Uh, we're actually surprised. If you look at their past results... Pretty, pretty decent. You know, they beat Canada, they beat USA. I know that's obviously not a huge opposition, but they're beating them regularly. They're beating Romania. Um, who else they beaten? Canada. Canada, yeah. So they're decent and they're absolutely massive. Huge, huge I think units. They got so in like 40 pro players in the top 14 alone in mm. France, you know? So loads, loads of pro fours. And for them, like coming to the stadium. Is going to be like for them. That's the shop window for them boys, where they can, they know clubs are watching them. A lot of them yeah. are probably battling for contracts. They got the World Cup within our group in two years' time, so they're always going to want a point to prove for that, and they want to get in the Six Nations, of course. So it's a massive sort of audition for them as a team and individuals. So I reckon that'll be a lot tougher than people think. You know, people think they'll come into the town and the Welsh boys will roll over. And that's going to be a hard game. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Should be a pretty good one to watch. Glad they're not playing in that one. That's. Um, <laughs> They're the sort of ones maybe you might get a tight car from the Monday after the Saturday before, but um, yeah, no, that'll, that'll be a, that'll be a bruiser. Yeah, it'll be good. You can't, you can't, apart from the fact you can actually win a game like that. You can't actually win in a game like that because everyone expects you to win, and you probably will go and win, but you will, you will get the shit kicked out of you for an hour and a half because this whole thing around, you know, how people like ten years ago or fifteen years ago used to talk about Argentina as this massive set of blokes, and they weren't particularly. You know, the rugby they played wasn't particularly nuanced or anything like that, but it was brutal, really, really brutal. So getting them off the ball was super hard. The scrums, the more was super hard. Every tackle was a chop tackle. And now, like, Argentina sort of retained that to a point, but that's kind of the new Georgia, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those games where, you know, these guys are pros, they're all huge, they're all in great shape, but you do come out in games against players, teams like Georgia, and you are absolutely battered, aren't you? 
I reckon nowadays, yeah, I played a game in the Six Nations recently, and it wasn't until the Friday we played Ireland on the Saturday, and it wasn't until the Friday after I could actually line out lift and not be in pain. I mean, it takes, I reckon on average, it takes about three days, four days to properly get over a test match, but you're real big ones sometimes. Once in a blue moon, you get one game which knocks you for six, and you know, you won't, you can't do much for six days. You obviously do train. But you just won't do contact, especially your back row boys, your centres and that inner shanks, mm. always putting our bodies on the line for the team. Um, weak, the weak, the weak ones often, the weak ones often can't train till the Friday. Um, <laughs> Toughest position to defend, thirteen. You know that. Um, basically, like a black row. Um, are you in the studio again? I'm in the studio for the New Zealand games. So no, yeah, just, met, just the two games. I turned up at the weekend. Um, I got a hospitality company, whatever, and uh, I took. <laughs> Took, sold took, out, sold out. Took, yeah, sue me. Um, no, don't, please. Um, didn't touch her. Um, anyway, uh, jokes, that obviously. Mark that, yeah, God, mark that down. What time is it, Peanut? Um, right down. Um, anyway, I took, uh, took 57 people to the game. We had a, a pre-match lunch with, with Michael Lino, who was brilliant, actually, absolutely brilliant. He can't see because um, he had a stroke back in 2012. So he's, he's a recovered from that, but he's actually got a sight problem. Um, and he drove there, funnily enough, to, to all the way to Cardiff, <laughs> which I couldn't quite believe. Um, but we got stuck for about an hour queuing into the, into the stadium because of extra security checks in the rain. Um, had I not had all these guests, I just would have left and gone and watched it in Tiger Tiger. But you, I could see you nice and warm with Nugget um, in the studio. Uh, I could see a couple of people giving you their 50 pence. Oh, we, no, we were sitting in the pundit box thing and it's kind of it's not indoors but it's not outdoors so yeah. they sort of built it on top of the stand that's not finished so there's and there's people a quarter of an hour into the game and, and we've done nothing like we didn't do anything to the gates you know wow. and people are climbing up there you know it's an effing joke there's thousands outside aggressively violently shouting at us and you heard me then I let I let the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Shanks' mum, what is she yeah. like? <laughs> I just let John Inverdale sort with it. I was just pretending I was watching the game while he piece in. But uh, yeah, John. Inver just piled into him, started lobbing that. cans of tuna at him. Fuck off, go on. You know, Inver's is like, fucking animal. <laughs> yeah, so a bit, bit of a nightmare. They need to obviously sort that out, don't they, for, for New Zealand? Otherwise, it, but people were like, it's a serious matter because people were with kids walking back, couldn't be bothered to queue. You know, they'd done half hour. And it, the funny thing, when I got there, they had this little. Um, Scanner thing like you get an airport, it's just going up and it's going beep beep, it's just letting you through anyway. So, yeah, um, no punchline to that one. Um, oh, but that, that is what happened. You know, when um, people like they're in traffic and they're really frustrated, or their train's late and they're really frustrated, and they take to social media and they say, This is a joke, my train's late for the fourth day in a row, and they're oblivious to the fact that no one except them gives a single shit about their journey. That was that story, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I wish you hadn't queued, but I just don't give a shit. Um, I was at Twickenham. I got there early. We got in really easily and sat. the corporate stuff went really, really well. And during the game, I sat with uh, big old Delags and we had a, a Mike Tyndall and we had uh, lamb chops, actually, a glass of red. Watched the game with the volume up, had a coffee afterwards and we had this little, like a flan. Um, it was like a, almost like a, yeah, it was like a vanilla flan with a lovely sort of paste biscuity base. And then we did a sort of an hour afterwards of mingling and a bit of chat on the mic. This is why the Welsh love sticking up the English. Cruise Dome. <laughs> Cruise Dome. There's no traffic on the way out because I had a good parking spot because I know Lawrence. So that was it, really. Quite, quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, does anyone care? No, you didn't care. Exactly it. But it was, uh, we had a funny one at the old, um, you know, we 
do the odd bit of corporate, you know, and so there's all these suites around Twickenham. Actually, on any sort of test match day, a big test match, there are 10,000 spots at Twickenham, 10,000 corporate seats. And that's a shed load of the tickets there in corporate before kickoff. And you have these Q&As and all the rooms are different. And some of them you walk into are really formal and they want to know predictions for the game and this technique and is he cheating and is that guy boring in and all that sort of stuff. And some are less professional. And uh, I was in the green room, which is, you know, so it's basically Lawrence and Tins's thing. They are sort of ambassadors for this place. And I've done it a couple of times. And my um, TV mate, Mark Durden-Smith, hosts it. He does the emceeing. And it is absolute carnage. Like from the very start, it's super expensive. It's super elite, all that sort of stuff. But it is just unbelievably loose. And everyone is twatted. Darren Goff was there. So they get all these celebs come in and there's the guy from um, Duran Duran, Simon Le Bon, is that right? He's in there. Andrew Ridgely, these are kind of before my time, but he's from Wham. Wham. All these sort of, you know, my, my parents' heroes are in there. Um, <laughs> but telling all these stories and Mark Dern-Smith just rips, absolutely rips into all of us and it's great. And he does this, you know, he introduces everyone and he starts off really nicely and... Lawrence Delalio, you know, World Cup winner 2003, double British lie and all this sort of stuff, three Grand Slams or Grand Slam, 999 caps, whatever it was. And he said, straight from the cracked ends of Richmond, it's Lawrence Delalio. And it's like, <laughs> ah, it's brutal, you know, and he rips into everyone. And my intro predictably is, you know, he played for five years for Saracens in the shit years. And he played for 10 years for Bath in the shit years. And he got eight caps on the North American tours that no one else could fucking bother to go on. And it, but then Tins starts doing this story and he's like, tell us that story, Tins. And Clive Woodward's always there. He's always in the room with his wife, Jane. Always come. Clive is class on those days, like super good fun. Loves Durders ripping the piss out of him. Asking if he's having a state funeral, all that sort of stuff. So he rips into him. He always starts off the day by saying how easy a decision was it to drop David Flatman from your England squad after just eight caps. Every time, you know, same shit. And um, so Tins starts telling this story and it's about the time we went on strike in 2001, which before he played Argentina, and I was just a kid, you know, but he starts telling this story. And it basically, whether it's true or not, I genuinely don't know, but he starts telling this story about how Clive told the players, you get in there and you do not come out until you've got what you want. If they don't give you what you want and what you deserve, we're not playing, we're, we're done, we're not playing. We're going on strike, I've got your back. So they come out of the meeting, and that night, like, what did you do? And I did exactly what you said, Clive, and we're going on strike. He's like, I didn't say that, I never said that. And everyone, everyone sort of laughed nervously and Clive and Jane are sitting there and Clive's just been up on stage for half an hour. So everyone knows he's there with his wife and his mates. And Tins goes on and on. And even Durders, who doesn't do awkward, is like, yes. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished. So he comes out and he fucking knifed us, right? I was like, oh my God. And at the end, it was one of those ones where everyone's sort of at the end and he was like, yep, so that's Clive Woodward for you. It's like, holy shit. It was honestly like, it was the only time I've ever felt properly awkward in a corporate suite. But the best thing about Mike Tyndall apart, is because, well, the best thing is who he married. And, <laughs> and apart from that, is that because of who he married, he doesn't give a single toss about what anyone thinks. So he just says exactly what he wants. And afterwards, he's getting eyeballs from everyone. And he's like, don't care. So he's, he's living the life, living the absolute life. But it was good. It's quite a good crap, those corporate days. Do you do, you ever, do, you do corporate stuff when you're not playing? I'm actually, you haven't filled me with all lot of confidence. I'm going to Twickenham on Saturday to do one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. God knows don't which do it, box Don't I'm do in. it with tins. Oh, God, I'm going to have to look into what I'm doing now. If oh, I'm you'll be all right, mate. Now. You'll fit right in driving your Range Rover in there. It's fine. Yeah. I, that's a good plug, that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. No, cheers, yeah. 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 No, I, I just need to get a tweed jacket, and then I'll be, I'll be good to go in. So, uh... And an attitude problem, you'll be in, mate. <laughs> what do you have to do then? You go and you sort of, you basically do this, don't you? You go in and... 
they people yeah, ask you I, questions I about I, the game. I don't really know. I, I don't really know. I just, I, it's the first time I've done it for in Twickenham. So like Wales, you do it. It's different, but I just presume uh, you can tell me. I just, they just told me, can you go to this? Can you go to the game? Um, I'd love to know who's hosting you. Because I was it, like, yeah, go on in, and that was pretty much it. It's just a way of getting in, isn't it? But yeah, um, you, you how can much? Fit in a ship. <laughs> no, no. Probably, probably love of the, the game. Question. I love yeah. of the game. <laughs> love of the game. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Uh, question for Sam. Um, Without wishing to blow smoke up the arse of anybody who's maybe up on the stage, I just wondered who Sam thought was the best 13, Welsh 13 of the professional era. Would it be Alan Bateman or John Davis or Mark Taylor? No, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. We, pla- we, we planted that one, if you, got, you forgot to say, through the years of 2001 <laughs> to 2011. Um, but, yeah. Well, I think I think it'd be pretty hard to go against John Davis purely because he's played in six Lions tests in a row. Um, I got I got injured, mate. No, Shanks, you were twelve when when I played. Shanks was twelve, so Shanks is twelve. Um, Our stage is falling apart for Christ's sake. So yeah, no, I, I think it's pretty hard to go against John Fox. Um, I think. Well, I agree. He's... Somebody asked me the other day. They said I had to do with my Lions fifteen from two thousand to to now from one to fifteen. So you got thirteen, and it's from the and it's from the test games. So it's from um, you know, it doesn't matter what they did for their country, Six Nations club level, whatever. So come to thirteen, you got obviously you got Brian O'Driscoll, then you got John Davis, who got player of the tournament. He obviously mm-hmm. started in all the tests in two thousand thirteen as well. So I couldn't. I know Brian O'Driscoll is obviously the, is iconic, absolutely iconic player, and probably the greatest lion of of, of the modern era. But um, I, I had to split it down the middle. So I chucked, you know, Foxy at 12 and, and Bot at 13. I couldn't decide between them two. But from a Welsh perspective, John, from being inside the camp as well, he's one of our main sort of leaders. Um, and if I had to name, like, perhaps our three or four most important players, you know, I'd definitely say John Davis is one of them. So um, for me, he's immense. I reckon the biggest thing with, with John Davis is he's developed his game a lot. 
Um, you know, from when he first came on the scene, you look at his offloading game now. You know, he's very, very comfortable kicking. Very, very big, good left foot option. Apart from the weekend when he kicked into the crowd. Um, <laughs> he's always got to put one in, isn't he? He's always got to have a dig. Yeah. Yeah. advantage. Yeah. But yeah, you, look at, you look at his game development over, I reckon, the last sort of five years, it's really, really come on. And he's, yeah. he's added so much more to it now. And what people don't see is a jo- he's a machine. Like, yeah. when, he's, he's, he's strapped up and all that, right? But when you see him, not naked. that I'm analysing boys naked, naked right? Naked. But when, when you see him naked, he is <laughs> he's in the most least he, homosexual way. He's impressive. <laughs> he's impressive. He is, he is immaculately groomed. He is immaculately he's very groomed. Well but but, groomed. He's, but he's, he's also actually really fast as well. People forget how fast he is. Because you know, when, you, when you see him run, he scuttles across the ground. He doesn't have a big stride, but he is, he is very fast as well, which uh, is obviously a good weapon. He's to have. got a great body. Uh, <laughs> Warby, just, just want to touch on, uh, on you being picked as the... Uh, for your for captain for Wales for the first time, you were the second youngest player ever, 22 years old, just behind Gareth Edwards. But it was against the Barbars, and we know they're not real fixtures because we had to create a fixture for Martin Williams to get 100 caps uh, against That's the Barbars. <laughs> you know he's listening to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish he'd stayed on 99. Such a better story. Anyway. But uh, but what, what was it like? What was what was the feeling? Took you by surprise? What first first captaincy? Yep. Oh, I was terrified. Didn't want to do it. No chance. I, I Gats asked me because because um, Matthew Reese was captain at the time, mm. and uh, he, he hurt his neck pre World Cups. So they said, "Do I want to do it?" And I thought, "Ah, oh, it's just a way of trying to accelerate a youngster into a bit more of a leadership role and give him more responsibility." So I thought, "I'll do it because it'll look good for my, my rugby CV." So I did it the first time. Terrified the whole way through. What was good was actually it was Gavin Henson's return to to play for Wales for quite some for quite some time. So that actually took a lot of the attention away from me. So a lot of the attention was on Gavin. So I got through that game. Then Matthew Reese was ruled out of the World Cup altogether. Then I did mm. the two games against England, home and away. And then I was actually thinking, shit, he's going to ask me to do it now properly. So I actually said no to start with. Um, you know, I was like, what about, I list off all these players, like Stephen Jones, Alan Wynn, Adam Jones, it was Shane Williams, Ryan Jones. It was crazy yeah. how many guys were there who could have done it. But um he was adamant he wanted me to do it. So, yeah, I do, I think, owe a lot to Dad. Uh, I Gats, I mean. Um, <laughs> easy mistake. <laughs> Sorry, easy, Very easy we, mistake. We can cut that bit out. I owe a lot to, uh, to Gats because he put a lot of faith in me from when I, from when I was a young kid. So, uh, I get that banner all the time. The boys always call me Son of Gats and stuff like that. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, that's the perception. Between you and Melon, Son of Gats, isn't it? Cause yeah, me and, me and Melon. Yeah, Jenkins is Jenkins, loved, yeah. loved by him. Um, but then, obviously, in the World Cup then, 2011, um, you beat Ireland in the quarterfinals, semifinals against France. Well done for getting sent off. <laughs> <laughs> the boys still tell me I owe them 20 grand a pair. Yeah, so right. a player. No Wales get. Uh, no. Uh, that was that was the <laughs> bonus they lost out on. Terrible. We can cut that out. Um, I still get. Oh, fuck. People ask me about that all the time. That red card, like, and um, well, the, it was a true story when I actually went back to the team hotel after that, and um, so we, like, I went back with the lawyers, our team manager, Gats was there, um, press officer, myself, and we had to sit down, make this whole plan for hearing the next day. So I said, oh, I'm going to go and get... They said, oh, my mum and dad are in the bar as well. They said, I said, oh, go speak to your parents for 10 minutes and we'll crack on with this because this went on way way into the night then. So yeah. obviously it was late, late kickoff and that. So I sat down with my dad, had a quick chat. It was like, I went up to the bar to get a drink. And then the guy said, oh, do you want a drink? So we were like, yeah, can we have um, two whatever we ordered, like two drinks? And he said, oh, where are you from? We said, oh, Wales, actually. He goes, oh, are you here for the World Cup? Do you just see the game now? <laughs> I said, uh, oh, yeah, no, what's the game? Get it, he went, fucking hell. You think they capped it with no better, wouldn't you? 
I was like, uh, oh, you know, what an idiot. Like, you know? And then, uh, so we got our drink, sat down, and then I think I saw the guy looking over, and it must have been his boss talking to him or something. He looked over, and he just took a beeline out of the pub. <laughs> Obviously told him who he just spoke to. It was genuine two story. It's true story. And then I, um, I had to get the plane home, and uh, it was a, such a such a ball ache because the players. So we 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 obviously had the third place playoff the next weekend. Oh great! Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a, it's a shocker of a game that one. At the third place playoff, I obviously wasn't playing, and then the boys flew home the day after, and they said, "Oh Sam, can you stay out?" So they flew home on the Saturday. They said, "Sam, can you stay out until Tuesday?" I thought, "Oh my god, on my own." It was me and Toby Falatau, but he's got loads of family over there, so he was all right. Yeah. So I stayed over there. Luckily, my parents were out for a few extra days, so I stayed with my parents in the team hotel, Matt. So I was in Auckland, bear in mind, I've been out there for seven and a half weeks already. I was so bored. Hadn't played for the best part of, you know, 10 days now. I just wanted to get home. So I was on the flight back, and there must have been like 20 flights leaving Auckland that day. Like flights going every half an hour back to Dubai to, to go to Paris or Heathrow, whatever. So then um, I, was in the, I was in the business class lounge because they sort of, they bumped us up. And then um, the, all the French lads were in there. So I was like, oh, fuck. Like, and I'm... <laughs> So I just sat in the corner of the lounge on my own, just did nothing. I didn't want to talk to the French boys whatsoever. And uh, so they, they, bought, they were asking us to board the plane. So I waited for the very last call to go on the plane. I was like, I don't want to be speaking to any of the French boys. I just can't be dealing with that right now. So then I finally went on the plane. I walked in, and it was all the French lads. I thought, oh, fuck, like 20, there must have been at least 10 to 20 flights leaving that day. So I was going through the, the business bit, and then all the French lads started sniggering. And I was like, I, I had no idea. I was getting a little bit riled up. Like, what the fuck are they laughing at? You know, I was like, getting a bit annoyed. So then I turned up, my seat, the only one seat left on the plane, and the guy sat next to me was Vincent Clerk. And I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Someone from Emmett's must have been having a right laugh. So I just put my bag near a red locker. I thought, I've got flipping nine hours here. <laughs> so I sat down, he just looked at me, and he just went, uh, you give me massage on my back, <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> Gen genuine, gen all my life, true story. I couldn't believe it. Would you rather sat by him or Alan Roland, though? Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I yeah, would have rather that than Alan Roland. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Alan, Alan, Alan Roland. He could have commanded him and just, poof, excuse my friend, he's dead tired. Yeah. And actually <laughs> murdered him. I'm talking about murder. You should have murdered him. Do you have any, uh, any questions? Uh, yeah, there's a couple more. Pauli, um, bring the mic to the front. There we are. Over on the right there, blue shirt. How you doing? Um, all right, thanks. How are you? Is that it? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, um, been up to? You guys, I've oh, been at work. Um, you guys very uh, gratefully answered a similar question back in the Six Nations, and as you've just got back from Georgia, how would you, all three of you, feel about a a four year rugby calendar where you had a Six Nations, a Euro style competition, a Six Nations, then a World Cup over a four year period? Hang on, so you have Six Nations one year, Euro star, yeah, Six Nations worldie, yeah. What's the Euro star? Uh, so, rather than just having Six Nations, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, no, you'd have you'd, rather than just have six teams. You'd maybe have more of the second tier nations because surely the gap between the first tier and the second tier is it getting closer? Is it getting? And if they're going to get even closer, surely you need to encompass them into a more of a professional tournament. Oh, yeah, I think I was actually chatting to um, a few people about this, like what the situation was. Who I think they're quite influential within the Six Nations and stuff. I just think the hard thing you're going to get is you need to get, obviously, all six unions to agree to say, for example, like a two-tier European competition where you can have promotion relegation, which probably yeah. would be the best thing for the game, probably would be, to have that fear of relegation in the Six Nations, I think would be great. But 
you know, that means then if, if I don't think the reasons unions have agreed to it because you can, like Wales this year, we like lost, what was it? We lost two or three, three games. We were nearly on the bottom of the table, you know, and yeah. I think you, the money they would lose the next year to play in a second tier, obviously like the gates and the commercially TV to go and play the other nations, no disrespect, they would never get the money. So I don't think any of the unions will agree to it. So sadly, I, I actually can't see it happening at all, a, a relegation promotion thing. I don't think it'll happen. The best thing they can do is expand it, but then there's already this talk about expanding leagues and, you know, that that's a bit of a no-go area at the minute. There's literally not a weekend in the rugby calendar where you can add a fixture at the minute. So I think the best thing to do is probably, most sensible thing to do is expand it, but you you can't. I'd like to see a promotion relegation, but I just don't think it's feasible. You, you could... Uh... I don't know. I'm quite up for it, really, um, and also their promotion and relegation. Um, but you could because every every team every team could have a bad every team could have a bad Six Nations. Um, but that doesn't automatically mean they're going to go down. I think they could be a playoff between the top of the second tier and the bottom of the um, of the first tier. Um, I don't think Italy should be in the Six Nations. Um, I know every they've been every team bar England, but consistently year in year out. They do not offer enough. Sergio Parise is going to go soon, and then you know he's been their their star player for years and years. They joined in two thousand. I don't think they've done enough to warrant a place. Um, Georgia are two spaces higher ranked than them in the IRB rankings as well. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, full of facts, me. Um, <laughs> don't waste um, your evenings. Yeah, squir squirrels are responsible for for planting thousands of trees every year because they forget where they buried their nuts. Um, <laughs> use that if you want, um, but but Flas, what what do you think? Because you're obviously probably better answering this than me, because you're quite bright. Um, of, a, of a line in all calendars, rugby wise. On the on the facts thing, do you know how um, hippos spread their scent? Do you know how they do that? They have quite liquid poo, and when it comes out the back, they literally whip their little tail into a turbine, and it spreads it out, literally like muck spreaders. That's how they spread their scent, like dogs do wheeze. Can we just give Sam permission? If, if, if we do get a really shit question, can we just ignore it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it's a, that is a, it's a Again, it's not going to happen. And basically what you're talking about is what we all really agree is, I, I think, I uh, hope I'm speaking for everyone here, is that we all quite like the idea of promotion relegation because realistically, as long as it's only ever Italy or Scotland, right? Um, <laughs> that, that's the truth. It would be, if France dropped out, they'd probably never get back. Um, because we, we, play, we were played against French sides and they're potentially incredibly powerful and intimidating and potentially really, really weak and uninterested and easily beaten. So that says to me, and I, I mean this, that says to me as a, you know, as a sporting nation, a sporting rugby nation, incredibly mentally weak. And if you can be really strong sometimes, sometimes isn't enough. So, you know, Thierry Doucetois actually said the same before he retired, before one of his last games, did an interview on the TV and said, they said, why is it sometimes you turn up, sometimes you don't? And he said, we don't know. We don't have, for some reason, we don't have the capacity to do well repeatedly when things are against us. If things are against us, we just keep losing. And once it's bad, we stay bad and we don't know why. And he kind of laughed about it and thinking, well, you know, if he doesn't know, how do the rest of us know? So I think if they went down, they'd probably never get back in. Um, England, you know, it would it would be kind of funny for me if Wales were at the bottom for a couple of weeks, but um, I wouldn't want them to go ultimately. Um, so I, I like the idea, but again, you, it's it's so much harder and so much more convoluted than you think to just bin off 
Italy, apart from anything else, the PR of it all, the PR of it all is absolutely terrible. It's like you're not it's elitist, you're gone. And of course it is elitist, it's six, there's only six of them, right? But it's, we gave you a chance and you haven't, you know, you haven't taken it, so you're gone and we're going to cast you away. I just don't think that'll happen. And then you start looking at promotion relegation and you have to be prepared for the most valuable union, which is England, the most valuable, the one that brings in the most money to them and for others. You've got to be prepared for them to disappear from the Six Nations and then everybody loses. So to say it's not, it shouldn't all be about money, nice thing to say, but it's naive. That's the game now. Okay, it's, it's a job now. So it's like saying headphones shouldn't all be about money because we like music. It's not how it works. It's about money. So it's, you know, for the players, it's not all about money when they're out there doing it. But that's, that's 30 lads. That's all it is. That's just 30 lads. Um, the rest of it, these, these corporations are enormous. So the truth, I don't think anyone's got an answer. And lots of people are quite bold with what they suggest. But when it comes down to it, also, you're never, ever going to have a year where you skip a six. You're never going to get into a cycle where you skip six nations. It's the best, it's the best annual tournament in rugby by a long way. Um, you know, it's got far more sort of, of course, it's been around longer, but it's got far more prestige even than a rugby championship, even though you might argue, you know, with New Zealand, they've got the number one team in the world. It might have more, but it gives them kudos. But the Six Nations is unrivaled internationally. Yeah. So Rude. that'll never go. That'll never go. So um, as for answers. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Warby, um, just get on to the, the recent tour to New Zealand. Um, like, how tough was it mentally not being selected for that first test? Was it was it a two-way conversation you had with the management and yourself? Yeah, I remember we were training for a midweek game against um, the Highlanders. So it must have been the team runs. It was the Monday before... Was it before the test? Yeah, just say so, yeah. So before, the, before the Maui All Blacks, that's it. And um, I remember I was just chatting the Gats, and I, I remember thinking, I was like... Even if I had to pick a test in myself, I wouldn't pick myself. And, you know, it was annoying because the Six Nations I actually thought was probably one of my best Six Nations I've had in a Welsh shirt. Yeah. Uh, and then I got, I had a two-month knee injury. So it's kind of like kidding myself being like, oh, it'll be like a pre-season. It almost guaranteed I wouldn't get injured further so I could make the tour. So that was a bit of a positive. Um, but then I did, I remember chatting the gas and I was like, oh, he just had said, how do I feel? And I was remember thinking, well, I remember saying to him, I was like, to be perfectly honest, like, I don't feel I'm quite at that level where I was at the Six Nations. I still need another couple of games or another 30 minutes off the bench just to sharpen the tools a bit. So just in case, you know, I I, want, I didn't want to sort of put words in his mouth, but like in case you are, I don't need to feel awkward when it comes to test selection because I do know myself I'm not at the level I'm meant to be at. So I wouldn't say I deselected myself, but you know, I let him know that I kind of wasn't expecting to be picked because I think that was, that was fair at that point. Um, I thought I came off the bench and I had a, a good impact in the first test and I thought I was pretty pleased with the way I played second and third so I did need I need about four games when I come back from injury I think Gats knows that had it been another head coach I think I probably would have struggled to be in the test team I think they wouldn't have realised that I could have come back to that level but I think Gats knows after about three four games I can start hitting my straps in yeah um, then obviously you win the second test now, what was the feeling in the squad after that oh that was feet on the ground or you I actually, I, I remember watching and watching back the video. Like I thought I'd be ecstatic beating the All Blacks, never yeah. beaten them. Wales haven't really come close. You know, we've done well for an hour and then we we've fallen apart. Um, so I'm really realistically, I haven't really come that close to beating the All Blacks. But even though we beat them, I still really didn't care because I was. I remember all the all the boys were celebrating, and I just remember thinking straight away just to next week. You know, and I remember when. Um, 
I think it was Graham Simmons from Sky interviewed me and he was really excited. I didn't want to put a down on it, but I was like, well, yeah, you know, we won, but it's not the test series. You know, it was all about the test series and yep. you know, Wales were too often heroic losers. And, and that's what you would have been had it been 2-1 series defeat, you know. Um, so I, I didn't really, I wasn't that bothered the fact that we won the second test. I mean, in hindsight now, it was one of the best games I was involved in. Amazing atmosphere, amazing game. Obviously now I'm really proud that we got a victory of the All Blacks. But I think if you were, if you want to celebrate one win over the All Blacks, then you're kind of showing a defeatist attitude. Like like one win shouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. One winning is the best team in the world doesn't make you the best team in the world. To be the best, you've got to repeat that again and again. So I don't know, that's just my mentality, you know. And I've always thought that with Wales, you know, to, to beat the All Blacks once, people would celebrate. Well, I'm like, well, if you're celebrating one win in 50 years, you're showing how big the gulf actually is. So I think just to act as if you, you didn't care. I know when Farrell spoke well to the boys after the game, he said, don't get used to this feeling. He said, no, sorry, get used to this feeling because we're going to do it again next week. You know, don't get carried away by it. This is what we're here to do. And I thought he, that was spot on. So, um, yeah, that was the message for the boys. It's a, it's a fascinating thing, the whole Lions tour, because we're going we're gonna to come back to you guys in a sec. Someone from Allied has got to ask a question. By the way, Allied tool hire, absolute set of choppers, okay? <laughs> they arrived here like an hour early, okay? Absolute choppers. Hold up, show them what you did. Hold one of them up, show them what you did. We'll wait. We'll realise you guys at home who are listening to this can't see this. But we'll tweet a picture of it. Turn it around for everyone to see. They literally came with little things with our logo, which you've used illegally, okay? <laughs> Without permission. Good laugh, isn't it? You're going down. <laughs> or just, yeah, yeah, and they booked seats. They literally booked their own seats. They came in and booked seats, okay? They're that sun lounger person in the morning. <laughs> Absolute melts. Absolute pack of melts. And you're going down unless... I see a skip and two portaloos delivered to my <laughs> driveway by 9am tomorrow. I haven't got any get any work done. I just like having a portaloo on site, you know. Somewhere for, you know, me and my wife to hang out. <laughs> makes, you feel um, <laughs> makes you feel important. Yeah, exactly it. Getting a bit of work done. Do they have a question, Flats? Uh, uh, we'll have a question in a minute. Okay. First of all... Um, the test? I want to go there. No, I want to go straight there. Say straight there. We've been going for 45 minutes. Um, I want to... Talk to you about the Sean O'Brien comments afterwards. Now, it's an interesting one. I was at uh, an event with Paul O'Connell. Haven't met him properly before um, recently. And just like, just the absolutely, just the best guy. I mean, you'll know him well now. Just a great, great bloke. Guy Paul, yeah. Great bloke. I I loved it. It was one of those events I didn't want to end. So I'd really enjoy sitting next to him. Um, And he remembered me from my England school days when I was a legend. And it was like, oh. Um, He did though, didn't he? He actually did. He remembered everything. Yeah. I might have said this on the pod, actually. He remembered everything. Like, he remembered, he remembered swapping jerseys, not with me, with, the set, with Steve Borthwick or whoever it was, and re- or Andy Sheridan. He remembered swapping jerseys. And he remembered all the Irish boys <clears throat> getting their jerseys. We beat them, and we were a pretty handy school team. Like, we beat everybody. And when I went to Australia and beat them as well and all that. So we, we had a pretty handy school team. When Johnny, was at, Johnny was playing at 12 and that sort of stuff. And um, so we... We swapped jerseys, and Paul O'Connell told the story about as soon as they swapped jerseys, they just whipped our jerseys straight back on because they were all like pallid and skinny and like they're all just ginger. No offense, Shanks. And um, and they were they were they were like, and all of us lot were obviously like massively into the weights, and we were like protein shakes, and we were just miles ahead of them physically. And they were like, these guys are massive. Get the shirts on. And in the end, he got 108 caps, and I got eight. So um, <laughs> we start the old weight. Oh, Terry waits a bit too early. But I wanted I wanted to ask you. <clears throat> about his comments because his 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 view on it was fascinating. His view was, I love Sean O'Brien. He's my friend. He's a great man. He was one of the best players on tour. But you, to say those things, you have to be in a position where there are no question marks over you whatsoever. 
Um, even if there are no question marks, he still thinks you don't say it because it's he doesn't like it. And he said he'll always be disappointed that Sean said it. But he still loves him because he's his mate and that you forgive your mates. Of course you do. But he was saying there has to be no question marks. Was there ever a night that you went out and had three pints instead of two or five pints instead of three? And he goes, if there was, ever, if there was even one of those nights, then you're not in a position to say that because you weren't as professional as you could have been. You know, and that was a really interesting point. But as skipper, you start, you presumably get up in the morning and, you know, do a thousand press-ups like I do in a 10K run and then check your phone <laughs> and you see this stuff's come out and you think, ah, oh, no, Shawnee, what have you said? But how do you react to that? I, d I did disagree with it. Um, I, I didn't agree with, it, with what he said. I, I know what he's referring to, though. So uh, what it is, I don't think the Irish lads used to train three days in a row, which sounds like a, a bit of a joke, but what I mean is, is normally in a training week, you'll train Monday, Tuesday. This is on an ideal week. Monday, Tuesday, you'll have Wednesday off, Thursday, Friday, play Saturday. But the one week I think he was referring to, we trained when we had Monday, Tuesday off, then we trained Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we played Saturday. So that's four days in a row you're actually training, running, tackling, whatever, which, which is actually quite hard. But is, yeah. if there's a double day there, so if you mean, which is like two rugby sessions in a day, for example, that would be difficult. But I think the Welsh lads, we've done that a few times before, trained three days in a row, then played. And by, when I say train three days in a row, it's only like one 45-minute session. Friday will be a 25-minute session. That's it. But I don't think he was used to that. So I think he was referring to that. I think... He wanted to train on a Tuesday with a Wednesday off. So that's what he's referring to that particular instance. So sorry, that's a terribly boring answer. But no, that, that is, that's what he was referring to. So he's not used to that training schedule. And that's the tough thing with the Lions tour is, you know, you, you can please some of the people, but you can never please all the people, especially when you've got 41 guys. They've all got their 50 pence to put in. Um, that's the, it's a hard thing for a coach to keep all the, all the players quiet. But... No one's really, I don't think, come out and agreed with them, have they? I don't think no, don't, no, no one's come out and agreed, actually. And it's, it's an interesting one because there, there's never been a coach that pleased everybody and oh. it, just, it just doesn't happen. And people think, well, there are always, there's only ever 15 happy lads at a rugby club, but that's not true because you could, you know, there are plenty of lads in the starting team that would rather train in different schedules and all that kind of stuff. And it, there was this survey, this research done years ago, whatever it was, and we all got told about it <clears throat> when we were playing at Bath. And, um, it was along the lines of, you know, it was about player burnout and it was kind of anecdotal at this point, but it became a piece of research later, I believe. But it was, what what are the major causes of player burnout? And you'd imagine it's uh, overtraining and, and a lot of that is overtraining, too much contact, too much running if you're a heavy guy and that sort of stuff. But actually one of the major causes of player burnouts, and it sounds ridiculous, is last minute schedule changes and changing the format of how you train because your body doesn't like it, but your mind doesn't like it. And it was really interesting because it was like it's nothing to do with the schedule change because we're all training and we all live in Bath. So we're not going to do weights tomorrow. We're going to do weights Thursday. That's kind of all it is. And that would knock people. And that extra bit of admin would knock people and it would anger people and it caused them angst. And it's a really interesting thing. And it, it just uh, it's a little bit of on, in isolation. It's incredibly dull. And I can see a lot of you catching flies now. But actually, it points to a, it points to a larger point, which is actually as a as a pro and especially as an international and a British Irish lion you are absolutely you're not on the max all the time but you're absolutely your max in terms of workload that's why you get injured a bit that's why lads get injured some lads are lucky and don't most lads get a lot of injuries playing rugby at one time or another so you're absolutely right near the edge so little things like that properly tip you over the edge without you knowing it and suddenly you think I don't like training on Thursdays but actually it's just because you're just right on the limit yeah at that, that top level you know people have certain routines that they stick to and 
you know, I probably would have been uncomfortable if we trained a slightly different way, but luckily it was a way that I was used to training. So I can understand from that perspective, but guys have such strict routines that, you know, they'll train, they'll eat this thing, they'll do this type of weights on a Thursday, they'll have a massage on a specific body part on one day. You know, they have really specific routines. So that's a hard thing with the line. When you're doing so much traveling, you've got midweek games, you've got a squad of 41 to juggle. That's where it's extremely hard to please everyone. Um, bring it back to the final Lions test now. Um, drawing one all going in what were what were the public like in New Zealand because they're obviously quite confident um, when you guys arrived did you see a notable difference were they a little bit worried and what was the feeling like after the game yeah the, the boys were a little bit like don't get me wrong the New Zealand public right people say they're friendly and they said this before when I went over there and I was like how can you judge you know like, there's always a couple of bad eggs everywhere but to be fair right the New Zealand public they were absolutely brilliant in 2011 they were great when they're in 16, 17, they're amazing rugby fans, to be fair, and lovely people. But there was a couple of times where we got through the airport lounge right at the start, and there was a couple of Kiwi fans. You're thinking, they got no, they got no, they, they can't say it's because it's not as if they played for the All Blacks. They're just random fans. They're like, oh, you boys are going to get hammered. They've, they've set you up with a guillotine. They've got, you've got no chance. And then my first press conference, there was a, New Zealand journalist said, oh, there's, they've um, a scary, scary questionnaire has come out for the Lions that we just interviewed 300 people uh, and only 10 could name one single Lions player. How do you feel about that? And I remember saying that to one of the boys. Um, I come out the press conference. They're like, how was that then? I said, well, they, I said, they're asking these stupid questions and all that. And I said that one question. And Marco Polo was like, well, they know it when we fucking smash them on Saturday, wouldn't they? Yeah. Like, th that's the mentality of the boys. You know, they, 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 they've really wound, wound a lot of the lads up. But... It was the first time going into that third test. All the press conferences before and the fans, you know, they all thought, especially after that first test, they all thought it was going to be a walkover. But the week of the third test was strange. It was actually the first time I actually felt that they actually thought, shit, we could lose this test series. And they were actually a bit mm. nervous. And players definitely got that. And we fed off that in a positive vibe as well. So, um, yeah, the first time I've actually seen them rattled. Not maybe the players, I don't know what they were like, but yeah. the public um, were definitely rattled going into that. And, and then after the game then, with the draw, I mean, you're probably a little bit nervous when Ken Owens goes to oh, Ken, catch that he, ball. He bought me a beer afterwards, yeah, he did. Because he, um, they, they kick off, don't they? And he rebounds off another player and Ken Owens tries to catch it and then just realises that he can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <clears throat> But yeah, for those who remember, like you'll think back to the quarterfinal in the World Cup 2015 when it was Scotland-Australia and then Scotland lost the game with an accidental offside. For me, one, it's never a penalty offence. Like, you, you could high-tackle someone, you could forearm someone and give away a penalty, or you could accidentally catch a ball and drop it straight away, and it's an instinctive reaction. You give away the same penalty offence, but um, it should never got to that point. Kieran Reid was offside at the kickoff anyway. Agreed. Um, yep. But yeah, it's not a penalty offence, it's a, it's a free-kick offence. But yeah, Ken... Um, he soiled himself, to say the least. He thought <laughs> he thought he just ruined the Lions for another four <laughs> years. But, uh, yeah, no, he's, he was very, very thankful. Like you afterwards. in that World Cup with a red card. It been... <laughs> oh, it would have been great, wouldn't it? Um, well, one what more, if, one more uh, question that struck me. I, I mean, I toured in New Zealand myself, not with the Lions, but with England. I wasn't going to mention it, but I went over there for a bit. Uh, popped a few up and you pinned them down and um, didn't actually play a single game. But there you are. So, um, injury. But... Good piss tours. So we went over there, but I remember going over there and like being told I couldn't wait to face hackers and all that sort of stuff. And they, when you face them in games, it's an amazing experience and it's a beautiful thing and you love it and all that. But I remember just being unbelievably bored of hackers by the time we got to games. Sort of thing you can't say because it offends everyone, but it's the truth. 
and no one in New Zealand knows who I am, but they know who you are, so good luck. Um, but I remember thinking, you literally, you go to a coffee shop and someone does a hacker. You go out for dinner and the staff do a hacker. They come out of the kitchen and do a hacker. And you're like, seriously? And you walk, you walk out of a coffee shop. I remember being in a Starbucks in Auckland. Other coffee shops are available and they're all better than Starbucks because Starbucks is shit. Um, but walking out, they did a, the staff with punters did a hacker in Starbucks. And we're sitting there like, and I was like looking at like Steve Borthwick and those boys and Phil Vickery and it was just like, oh, Bellens, you know, like, yeah. well done guys, nice one. And we walked out and there are people waiting outside and you're thinking, oh, they want to get Wilco's autograph or something. And it's like, ah, come at it. Oh, Jesus Christ. So we're just in the end because there was, there was, there was a Twitter was kind of there or thereabouts. So we were just like, see you later, mate. Like, good hacker, guys. And walking off. Now you get hammered for that. Like, you couldn't just blank. Somebody would film you disrespecting a hacker. But how many did you see by the time you got to that third test? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you see? You see? It's the truth. Honestly, yeah, no, it is the truth. Like, there was one official welcome we had, which was actually brilliant. They had loads of these uh, sort of Maori warriors from, and obviously it was in their bloodline for years. And one was pretty impressive. But yeah, we had so many. And I remember we were actually sat around a table once. This is uh, going back to when Wales toured to New Zealand. And uh, Gat sat down. We have like a leadership meeting on like a Monday start of a week. So if it's a few of the experienced players and Gats and that. And then he just said, I, I just wonder, lads, what, what goes through your minds when you see a hacker? And then one of the boys, you know, in this group we got, like myself, Dan Bigger, Jamie Roberts, John Davis, those kind of guys. And um, one of them was like, oh, I'm just thinking, just be respectful and, you know, st stand my ground, whatever. And he's, I remember he must have said to Jamie, I said, what, what do you think? He was like, oh, same, you know, just, you know, taking in the culture and whatever. And he looked at me and said, what do you think? I was like, no offence, Gats, because we had a, a Mary Welcome the day before. I said, no offence, I know you're Kiwi and that. But I don't like it, and I just remember looking at the biggest guy and thinking, "Come on, then, didn't go." <laughs> and I said, that, "That's what I, that's what I think." Yeah, there you and, go. Um, and, super, and, I, and he said, "No, exactly." He said, yeah. "You should." He said, "When these things happen, you've got to pick the biggest one, eyeball him, and let him know exactly what you want to do to him." But yeah, yeah that's what I think when I see these Mario. You, uh, you you massively preferred the Hongies, didn't you? Um, that's where you got touch noses with um, with other people because. The nose like that, you didn't have to dip in far, did you? <laughs> um, He's nodding from the team bus like that. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a small break now so you can uh, refill, go to the toilet, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of the results from the weekend. Thank you very much. We'll go on to the results of the weekend. Uh, we'll start with... Got your results, Tom. <laughs> Got your printouts, and they're even stapled together, Tom. <laughs> Well done, mate. Let's talk about the results now. Who was on? Who was number twenty-three for Wales at the weekend? <laughs> who was it? Amos. It was Hallam Amos. Hallam, yeah, it scores a good Hallam try. To his friends, Tom. Um, Grow up. So, mate. I've even got the results wrong on it. Um, <laughs> says Wales twenty-one, Australia nineteen. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So uh, twenty-nine, um, twenty-one to Australia. The headline on the Western Mail, which is a Welsh paper, on Saturday morning was nobody beats Wales 13 times in a row. Uh, but they did. <laughs> uh, the, last time, the last time Wales beat Australia was back in 2008. Well played. Stop it. Stop, well it. Stop it. It's, it's actually getting really embarrassing talking about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was. And uh, actually, Andrew Bishop, come on, uh, for Jamie Robson, did an unbelievable job. Um, Andrew Bish, yeah, from Osprey, very inexperienced. Um, make a big tackle at the end. Um, remember, can you remember um, the last time England beat South Africa in a series away from home? I can't think. I no, I think I. 
That's right. It was when I was playing in 2000. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. great, great times, guys. Yeah, lovely, lovely. The no or oh. the noughties. Um, right. Um, <laughs> 29, 21. Um, disappointed with the result, but maybe slightly happy about the performance and the way Wales played. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I think um, I liked seeing Owen Williams at 12. I thought that was, that was completely different. Like Wales, we had such a stable squad for such a long time and the way we've played. And that's probably the biggest change we've seen since Gats has probably come in, to be yeah. honest. You know, it's gone full circle since Gavin Ensign. So first time we've had a playmaker since Gavin, probably. Uh, and I liked it. I read we had 12 line breaks. That's almost unheard of. So um, just converting those now is going to be the main work. I suppose a, bit, a big question was over his defence as well, because we all know he can attack because he plays 10 and he's played 12. Um, probably got the nod over the other two because he's had more experience at 12 for Gloucester. But his defence was also very good at the weekend. He's he's a very good athlete. I remember when he came in um, in the Six Nations for the first time in our room with him, and uh, I mean the guy is shredded. Like he looks after himself. He another, another guy with an amazing body, Sam. Honestly, I don't. I was going to touch a leg and don't don't judge me. Yeah, he, he is honestly Owen is like he's out of a specimen. So I thought, fuck. Well, he's a he's quite a deceptively tall guy. Actually, yeah. he's not he's not a weedy ten like people think. You know, he's got a stereotypical. Week 10, I think he's, you know, defensively was never going to be an issue for him. So, um, yeah, I said beforehand, I thought he was going to, going to be fine there, and, and he was. There was obviously a clear ambition to, to play wide because, to start with, both the tries were scored in the wide channels, but you could see the ball trying to get in to those wide channels a lot more than it previously had. I think you saw the combination of Owen Williams slotted in at 10 for the try, hit Dan Bigger at 12, which creates a, the room for, for Steph Evans. So, but it, it is going to take a little bit of time, isn't it? Because that blueprint of Warren Gatlin's game plan from, say, 2008 is still sort of imprinting the boys, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's what you want with Steph. You know, you want him to jump in a first receiver whenever you want. So you want three guys running at the fences rather than just having one standard 10 who just ships it on again. The more guys you're going to have who are going to be genuine threats and take the ball to the line, especially when you want them to run against forwards. That's what you need for Wales. So, um I think you know they obviously encouraged guys like Rob Evans, Alan Wynn. Like when we train, start of a training session, we'd always play touch for five, ten minutes to try and encourage offloading and playing with a bit of freedom. So whatever matches they gave to the boys worked. You know, which is just play, and uh, you're going to make some errors doing that. But you know, rugby is now turning into a game where to win test matches now you've got to score. You have to score more than twenty points to win a test match now, unless you're yeah. playing in dreadful conditions. So you have to score tries. Simple as that. Okay, so the kind of a new look back row with a couple of knocks. Shingler <clears throat> at six, who's been in great form, great carrying the ball, really, really good player at seven. Um, Josh Navidi played from the Blues, uh, super player. And what did you think of his performance? Question one. Question two. Well, that's question two. Question one, uh, and don't lie, is do you kind of want Wales to win but him to be shit? <laughs> Josh Navidi also got a great body. Um, yeah, another. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, no Nav's actually. Um, well, I mean, I've known Josh for eight eight years, maybe through the Blues, and we're actually really good mates. And um, it's strange, like normally, you know what it's like when playing hookers always hate each other. I always find that hookers never get along very well. Um, but the sevens we got the Blues, we got myself, Ellis Jenkins, Josh Navidi all played for Wales at seven. We all actually probably get on, well, we all do get on really well and they're two of the guys actually like most at the club. So I was actually, you know, I was genuinely really happy for him because he's got two caps for Wales, both on summer tours. Um, it's not quite the same unless you play at home in front of that home crowd, you know? So I'm really glad that he's ticked that box and he was, you know, he, he works his socks off every game. He got 18 tackles and he made the most metres for the forwards as well. But 
for any for the casual rugby fan, they might not know much about Navidi, but anybody who watches the Blues will know he's been one of our best players for the last five years now. So um, did really deserve that. And I'm glad he, he put a good account of himself in as well. I great, liked um, body, great I body. Liked, yeah. yeah, if you can't look another man in the shower, there's something wrong with you. Steph Evans on the wing. Um, I, I really like the way he plays. He's been brilliant for the Scarlets last year. Something completely different that I think Wales really need. I felt a little bit sorry for him because he loses the ball randomly to, to Curtly Bill. And we've all done that. We've all taken him to contact and just been stripped of it straight away. But it just so happened that he's got a try. And it was a little bit of a shame that he got subbed off straight away after that because that probably wouldn't do his confidence that amount of good. But I really, really hope they stick with him because he does offer something different. He's We can't compare him to Shane Williams, but um, he's, he's different. He's different from the, the typical mould we've had of wingers. I like him. I, I thought he was great and... Like, you know, when you look at the back lines in the past, when we've had Jamie Roberts, John Davis, Cuthbert and George, you got four power runners there. Yeah. The only power runner we really had was John Davis. So we had to look towards a different game plan. And, you know, someone like Steph was perfect for that. Liam Williams has been great. Um, you know, we obviously know from a Welsh perspective, but I think from a Lions perspective, I think you made the wider audience more aware of what he's capable from doing, from counter-attacking. So... Backline starting to take some good shape now. To still think we got George North to chuck in the mix there yeah. as well uh, makes it really exciting. I think if, if it was down to me, I'd, I'd probably swap Liam Williams and Lee Halfpenny still. I still think Liam Williams is a, a better 15. And a lot of tries are now scored from turnover ball, which goes straight into the 15 hands or counter-attack. And yeah, sorry. Are we getting to... <laughs> For the, for the, for the yeah, benefit, we, we're, getting on, we're getting on to England now. Oh, um, you, you, hang on, don't move on. With benefit of everyone at home, uh, Brett from Allied Tool Hire, um, who are an absolute fucking shambles um, of company. <laughs> Turns out they don't do skips anyway. Um, so you're all going down in the court. Is snoring, snoring at the answer of a double Grand Slam winning British and Irish Lions centre discussing the Welsh back three. So just be very careful. There'll be a red dot on your chest soon and you will be, what's the other word for it, murdered. Yeah, so murdered. Let's just not forget, I did get selected for two, but I missed the, the second one. Cause she did, mate. Yeah, I got selected for that one too. Just get my shoulder. And Wood on the Street was going to be captain, but anyway. Uh, right, um, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, England-Argentina. I suppose that the, the great thing about that game was the, BB, uh, the BBC managed to condense that into two-minute highlights. Um, <laughs> Flat, Flats, you were there. Um, yep. What are your thoughts on the game, boy? Uh, it, the best bit about the game genuinely, genuinely was... Nathan Hughes try, like catching that ball for the try. It was an yeah. amazing pass, but it was right out in front and a great bit of skill. And I think uh, it was Clive or someone said on the telly, it's a, it's a, and it sounds really basic, but it's like you're really stretching for a ball and a lot of people try and catch the balls they're really stretching for is knock it up in the air and catch it on the way down. And it was actually a genius bit of, I didn't think of that. I just thought, well, he's got lucky there. But actually, you watch him knock it up in the air, and it's really basic. But I, I genuinely tried to avoid, avoid the ball when I played rugby, so I never had to do that genuinely. You had to do that very much. That was the best bit. The second best bit just was the final whistle. Um, it was... It was an, and I, this is, I say this with massive respect to all the players who are amazing players and the coaches and all that. It was an absolute agony for most of that game to watch. And there's this really weird phenomenon in all of our corporate suites where... You have all the, the punters, you mix them with all the ex-players, all having a few pints and a great time. You do your sort of turn on stage and it's all good fun. And everyone spills out 20 minutes before kick-off to their seats. And none of the players go. It's like None of us go. We all have tickets, but none of us goes to watch the game. We all sit inside and have a nice bit of lunch and a pint and a glass of wine or a coffee, whatever it is. And we sit four or five of us around a table. And it's awesome for me because I get... You know, as we joke regularly, I only got eight caps. So I know all these guys a bit, but I didn't play against half of them and I wasn't as good. But I get to 
be with these guys a lot and a lot of them I get to know and you get to sit next to some cool guys and sometimes you get landed with David Campisi, which is a fucking punishment. Um, <laughs> but my dad loves the selfies. Uh, but, you know, you sit with basically people like Tins and old mates, you know, so you sit and watch the game and it's really nice. So they are like... These are the kind of the bits on stage are the most fun, but the kind of the nicest, most enjoyable, coziest bit is that game where the suite empties and we all sit together as mates and watch it. And that still didn't rescue it at the weekend. It was so fucking um, boring. Just uh, it was painful. But it, I mean, geez, what? Do you reckon it's a yellow card? Tugler and Brown? Ab- absolutely no way. That is even a no. penalty. It's not a penalty. It goes for the ball. I think uh, who, who was it on the telly? I can't remember. I think it might have been Greenwood or somebody. He said he nearly catches it. It's so much of a contest yeah. that he gets a hand on it. He nearly catches it. How do you get a yellow card for tipping someone on the air when you're off the ground nearly catching the ball he's just caught? Mike Brown, holy shit, did his head hit the floor. That was proper horrible. Um, genuinely uh, unpleasant. And they replayed it like French style when Cami Lopez snapped his leg or whatever it was. They replayed it 20 times. It's like you sadists. Don't replay it. It's vile. There are children watching. So that was one thing, but... Brownie kept hold of the ball. He, like, recycled the ball. How did he do that? He's an unbelievably hard bloke. But that was never, ever... For me, that's not even a penalty. That is restart the game, rugby incident, make sure Brownie's okay. And it's not about toughening up. It's about the fact that he was competing for the ball and it went wrong. It's a rugby incident. I think there were a lot of tweets from the Welsh asking for a replay. Um, (laughs) uh, What is... You both can probably answer this. Um, Mako Vinopola, um, prop what a player he is and how, how much of a luxury is it for England to have like a, a ball player, really, a prop, um, be, being able to comfortably hold the ball and, and throw it behind other forwards um, as, a, as a playmaker. Yeah, well, I mean... I did I, against I, Scotland last year for one of the tries. all the time. Yeah. He does it every week. And, I mean, when we, 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 when Mako first started as a pro, he was in academy, an academy or something at Bristol. And um, we had a live scrum session. You know this live scrum session between England and Wales? Well... Okay, that's two, that's two countries, but this happens all the time between clubs, do it all the time. So when Bristol were in the Prem, they came over on a sort of Tuesday morning and we had live scrums and it was a massive punch-up and they called it off, which is what happens in every single scrum session. But for some reason, the coaches keep doing it. But they had this young tight head called, it was me, John Humphreys and Duncan Bell, I think, or Lee Mears and Duncan Bell, and they had this young tight head called Mako Vunipola. And our coaches said, right, keep an eye on this, these three guys in their pack. Basically, if they're any good... We'll try and get them from Bristol. We'll try and sign them because Bristol will be going down anytime soon, which is right. So, no, they didn't. But we'll try and see if they're any good. We've heard good things about them. And afterwards, they came to us and said, um, and I say this with, I, I, I would rate Mako as the best loose prop on the planet now. We came to, he came to me and Belly. Any good? We said, no, mate, he ain't got it. <laughs> yeah, he's, asked, he's asking 30 grand. He's a joker. So, um, yeah, 350 grand later. But he's, uh, he is... He's an absolute megastar, and he's a megastar for different reasons. He's a megastar because he's very skillful at that, but he's megastar because the value he adds to a team, I would say, in that he does loads of work in the tight. So he's, he's not the world's best scrummaging loose head, but he's top few because, frankly, he, he's a very good scrummager, and he's a clean scrummager, so he doesn't cheat a lot. But there aren't many monsters around at the moment, whatever, for whatever reason. Probably the laws or whatever it is, something like that, but... He adds so much to a team. He does, he does loads of work in the tight. He clears out loads of rucks. He mauls hard. He, t- he competes at the breakdown, tackles a lot. But ball in hand, he offers something that, firstly, no other props offer, I don't think. But he, he is actually a better ball player than most rugby players. He's the best ball playing forward I've played against or with since, remember Phil Greening, the hooker, 
was just an insanely skillful player and could do things you just couldn't believe. You know, only Thomas Castagnier was like him that I played with in terms of pure skill. And, you know, Mako's like that. And you've played with him a lot more than me, a lot more recently. But I'm guessing he's an amazing bloke to have. I, I agree. I think he's one of the, yeah, the best loose head in the world rugby. He's the sort of guy, he probably grew up playing 12. You know, I reckon he's probably that sort of guy who would have grown up playing 12, um, knocking around for his junior clubs or something. But yeah, straight away when, well, obviously going back to 13, I first saw him. The way he just passes the ball, you're thinking, shit, he's got skill. And like after a session, he'll stay back and kick, like he, like he's just a, a like a like like the kids do for half an hour. Him and Toby Faratao, they just stay back and they just kick a ball and mess around. And he just it's an amazing skill level. So when you got a big guy who's genuine 19 stoner who can want to do a, a sidestep and dummy pass and all that, you got he's a very special. He's player. a hustler as well because he looks knackered. Three minutes in, <laughs> he's sweating his tits off. He's blowing. He's like, oh, and he's got his massive earlobes that make him look even more tired, like a Springer Spaniel. He's like, oh, I'm dying in here. Okay. 75 minutes later on, he's scoring tries and making offloads. Right. He's, he's having you on, mate. All right, that's all right. Three cheers to Mako. Um, <laughs> Leo Vegas, bet the week. Um, yes, it's time for the bet, and children in need benefit from this if we win. So let's get this right, guys. England v. Um, England v. Australia. England v. Australia. I'm going to say... 23-19, absolute nail-biter, England win. Yeah, I was going to say the same, five-point win for England, so um, I go 26-21. Uh, can I just say go one... Go with Warby, so go with Warby. So if we win, if the children win, it's on Warby's back, and if the children lose, it's on Warby's back. Can I just say, <laughs> every single week we've done by a certain amount of points or more, but you've given a, an actual score line, so can we just do points or more? So we're going with England Warby's. to win by... Five or more. Five or more. Five or, five or more, okay. I'll write that down. Someone's on the ball. Um, All written down, Tom, underlined in capitals. <laughs> written your time codes. So island one, well done, Island. Um, 38 3. Well done. Actually, a pretty good game, although probably highlights South Africa. I mean, I thought they finished the rugby championship pretty well, but I'm pretty strongly, but they seem to got MC hammered. Would, would Sale Sharks beat South Africa on a Friday night at the AJ Bell? Uh, yes, yes they would. Uh, Stockdale looked very good for Ireland. Scores a lovely try. Um, actually, their face play looked really good from right to left. A lot of rugby league influence, and you see that in a lot of teams. Now, uh, Scotland, 44. Samoa, 38. Any Scottish here? Wee, even better. <laughs> even better. Uh, yeah, same as the Lions. Um, <laughs> not much. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get a few in, like falsely. We're going to add a few to the audio, just some false Scottish people. Get them in late. Uh, we got a couple of lads. We're flying them in later on to add them in. It should be absolutely fine, just to balance it up a bit. Smoothly going on to the final part of this podcast. Um, questions from Twitter, questions from you in the audience for Sam, David, or myself, or even Peanut. Um, um, if you want some advice on how stage, to delete, uh, if you stage. want some advice on how to delete web history. <laughs> Peanut's your man. Boys call him History Kill. Yeah. I love that advert on the telly where it's like the guy's on his laptop and it's like Windows, whatever it is, and it's like it's got private browsing and he's looking for flowers to get some roses delivered. And she walks in and she goes, Oh, you're not telling you what I showed. As if that is as if that is what he's looking at. Yeah, he's on amateur. Right. We're um got one in the in Warby's Lions jersey. <laughs> Do you think um uh, Ford is a little bit lost without Farrell for England in the back line? In other words, Slade was shit. <laughs> I've not seen the game, so I wouldn't comment. I think um, I, haven't, I haven't seen the game either. 
I have seen a game. I've seen seen a game he's a very good player. Uh, no, I don't actually. Um, I think George, I, I thought George was really good at the weekend and it didn't go England's way and it, not everything went his way, but I thought there were periods where he actually looked quite creative and probably created more than he did when Owen's there. I think, I think Slade was brought in to effectively perform the same role as Owen Farrell. And it's one of those games where pre-match they're asking all of us, like, how do you think it's going to go? Every single English pundit that I saw on Saturday said, I tell you now, this will be an absolute shit fight. It will be low quality because they are unbelievably awkward to play against, even if they're missing some of their best players. They're really, really hard. What I would say is that that all came true. But Lawrence Dalio made a point to me after the game, to us after the game, and he said New Zealand would have scored seven tries today. They would have absolutely ripped that lot apart. Everyone else in the world would have found that really awkward. And I think that's just what happened. So no one looked great. I think that there's no question Farrell is the best 12. The question comes, if, if Henry Slade plays well enough, if Henry Slade plays well enough over this series, and I hope he stays in the team because he's fantastic um, somewhere, <laughs> if he plays well enough at 12, is he going to force you know, Eddie Jones to pick Farrell at 10 and you know, run him at 12? It, it, I just don't know. And I, I just think Ford and Farrell have worked so well for England, I just can't see that changing. So I think Slade may well end, may well end up at 13. The question then becomes, the question then becomes does he have the pace of a Jonathan Joseph to make up those for those defensive errors. And he doesn't have the pace of Joseph, I don't think, Shanks, if I'm not wrong. So there, there are all sorts of question marks there. But Ford Farrell works so well. Why, why would you change it? Yeah, um, can I just say, well, we have to get through answers pretty quickly if we're going to get through. Um, valid points, but just try and condense it and use uh, less words if possible. Sorry, what, um, Warby's got to get to midnight mass in Newport. <laughs> in <order to> <laughs> uh, questions, go on. Any, any other boys with questions? Palace, well done. Sparksy, planted, All right, Sparksy. planted one. Right, flats. Um, just wanting to find out who the um, most feared opponent was that you played with, and um, who um, who you played uh, so with and against. So yeah, against is easy. You you boys probably played against him as well, but um, he was spent majority of his career towards the end at Perpignan, and he played for Samoa. I, my first start, Henry Tuolangi. Oh yeah. Oh my. Oh man. Goodness. Oh my God. He threw me like a rag doll on my first start for Wales. I couldn't believe. I've, I've never seen a human that big. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. You don't know. You don't know till you make. Honestly, it was frightening. And, I, I, oh, I, I went enough. to a, I went to George Shooter's thirtieth at, at Welford Road. We played Leicester. I don't remember. Remember what I just said. Beat him. Yeah. Okay. Beat him. Fine. Went to a party afterwards. Jeez. And it was fancy dress. And Henry had forgotten his outfit, so he went back behind the bar. He had a big pair of like DM shoes on and black socks. Took all his clothes off and got one of the little aprons from behind the bar and came out with just an apron on and a pair of pants. And I mean, you, you again, if you if you ever find out he's going to be at an event, buy a ticket and go, and just look at it. <laughs> he is the biggest human being, the biggest human being on a rugby field I've ever seen. And he was his physique. So sorry to take on a Warby here, do a Warby. His physique was immaculate. He was absolutely colossal. But I would say. Physically tough. Him, Chrissy Halai Fanua, absolute, absolute hitman. But in terms of the toughest guys to play against, I always, I wasn't worried about those guys because they, they're coming straight at you, and you either, you know, you either make a hit or you don't. Shut Let up. You get to the answer. Shut up, your bell end. So, but guys like Jason Robinson, they were the guys. Guys, I mean, 
they're better than everyone else and they're half the size of everyone else. So that's tough for me. And guys like Nick Abenden and just unbelievable players. And they are smaller than your average bloke, but unbelievably tough because they've got to play against these big units. Okay, you named about four or five then. Uh, Inga Twigamala, I thought, was probably one of the toughest players against. Just dragging it on. Move on. Massive, massive, massive bloke. Um, right. There's this unwritten rule that our podcast has got to be no more than one hour or something. That's not true, is it? No, Flats, it's over an hour and a half now. Exactly. Um, right. Uh, Gareth Walters on Twitter. Uh, Says you're a legend, true pro. What would be your top three movies and who would play you in a movie? So just name your top one movie then. Uh, Favourite movie would be... Avatar. Pursuit no. of Avatar. <laughs> I used to get called Avatar. That's where I come from. I used to have a nickname <laughs> Avatar. I see it now. Right? I see it now. Um, I've been called Avatar. I've been called Jaws off James Bond. Oh, yeah! Yeah. Um, that guy of Al- Alcida, say, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Alcida Nail. Say, Jimmy, Jimmy Nail. Nail. <laughs> um, I've had a few, and, and none of them I don't think are complimentary, are they? No. So uh, no, no, I like, I like Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith. He's okay. a legend. Who would play you in a movie? Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play you in a movie? Uh, I'd like to say Vin Diesel, but realistically, <laughs> o- Omar Jali, something like that. <laughs> I reckon I'd be Woogie from uh, Something About Mary. You know, the one who's got the... Which <laughs> stuff. Or the Nightwalker from Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Jimmy Pally? Somerville. Yeah, yeah, one of the back. Yeah, the back there. One quick question, Sam. I wondered if you went into coaching. Sorry, mate. Uh, if you went into coaching after rugby, what takeaways, especially after the following Lions, uh, the Lions tour you've just done, would you have taken from the Southern Hemisphere rugby? Because it seems like we're all forever going to have that gap there. Uh, for me, handling. I-, I think there's not enough on skill development. Whenever I do kid sessions. People expect me to do loads of tackling and stuff, but I actually just do loads of hand-eye coordination, catch-pass, stuff like that. So uh, I think, you know, in New Zealand, all they do is catch and pass the rugby ball. They don't play football or anything. They're terrible at football. Shanks, remember, the Kiwi lads who played for us, we do football to warm up. They're terrible at footy. But they probably pass the ball 10,000 times more than the equivalent of 15-year-old over here because we play football in our breaks. They just play touch rugby. So I think much more handling skills. Questions? Any more? Plenty. Oh, here we go. Here's Brett. Okay. <coughs> Firstly, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for the uh, introduction, Sal. Top man, thank you. Warby. Um, top man. Sam, mate. Sam, Sam sorry, mate. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I remember when I went out for my first pint as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awkward, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Mario Toje is a bit around him uh, about being a you know the uh, a great player. What do you think about him on uh, on tour? Uh, if I could sum him up in the quickest way possible, I think he'll be next Lions captain. That's what that's what I think. I think he's outstanding. Really impressed me on tour, and I thought he was immense. If you're injured, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Or if yeah. Ga- or if Gats doesn't run it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one for you, Shanks. Uh, does your sister still stay in touch with Gerald Arasa? Are you reading these? <laughs> Are you reading these? Nope. Okay, fine. Nope. Look just, at me then, right? Just, just don't break the stair. Just go. It's hard. I, I've okay. asked it. Okay, is my sister still in touch with Gerald Arasa? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, she, no, she's not. No, she's not. That fizzled out pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he so didn't marry her. And niche. He didn't marry her. Um, qu- uh, question here from Sean Hughes on Twitter. He says, "What's the difference between a C Cobra and a two tone five two five? Flats? Any? Any? One's got a roof. One hasn't. Yeah. Perfect. Is in Twin Town. Anyone? 
Yeah, there we are. They're making a new one, apparently. Yeah, yeah I heard that. I heard Questions. that. Apparently anymore. They were gone. There's yeah, one. one at the back there. We'll come to you next. Oh, Chewy first. This is um, Chewy. I used to work with um, Chewy at Bath Rugby. I was his um, I was his boss. Is that right, Chewy? Shh, shh. I was his boss, and I was a great boss, wasn't I? Really good. Was I your boss? Not technically. No. Te- team leader, were you? Team leader. Assistant <laughs> to the boss. Assistant to the manager. Yeah. You got um, uh, my question's for Sam. Um, how do you reflect now on winning a Lions test and not losing one? Series, a series. Winning a series. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't get that. Um, <laughs> that was your big shot, Chew. Yeah. Well, so, so what was the question again? How do you reflect on winning a series and not losing one? Well, so how do I compare 2013 to 17? Yeah. Um, somebody's asked me, like, what have I preferred, which one was better? And if I could choose one, I'd choose 13 because it was a win. Uh, even though I think New Zealand, with no disrespect to Australia, was a harder task, um, I'd always take a series victory just because you can just tick that box and say you've won a Lions series. So I thought New Zealand was a better achievement, but if I had to choose, I'd just choose the victory. Has anyone ever drawn a series? I think once. Okay. History. Uh, box ticked. Um, got a got a question here. Well, it's not a question. Um, George North um, asked me to ask you. BBC. Genuine. Sp- genuine. BBC. Well, I had to text him first and. Set up pay. Not on him. Set up pay him. BBC Sport Awards. You're going out to give out an award. Why? And you've you you've given out an award. Oh. And you've got a name was there. wrong. No, so, right, right, I'm going to ask Flats this, right? Okay. So, hang on, give me a pen and paper. Hang on, we can cut this bit. Okay. He's just drawing use something. One of Tom, use Tom's backup biro, if you would, Sam. <laughs> right, so what it was, I was asked to present an award, and um, I had to go up, and they didn't brief me on how to pronounce the name. Right, so I'm going to put it in front of you, and you can say the winner, the winner of the... Just say the winner is, and pronounce his name in front of you, all right? Winner is... Angel Ferreira. Right. George found that funny. Apparently her name, I said the winner is, I saw the last name Ferreira. So you think, yeah. work back, you think, right, it's probably Spanish descent. Yeah. So you go Angel. But her name was Angel. <laughs> I said Angel. <laughs> so that's why no one briefed me on it, but George found that very funny. But yeah, so you, you think like me, Angel Ferreira, but it was Angel Ferreira. Was yeah, no, you had, you had it, it might not be Ferreira, but it's a Spanish name with the second name. Roche. We can, we can generalise, it's a podcast. Roche. Yeah. Um, Scorchio, something like that. I had a question, had a question on Twitter. Um, any strange, weird jobs before becoming a rugby player? I've never had a job, ever. <laughs> I, I did one paper round to fill in for my mate for a fiver, and my dad ended up following me around in the car, helped me out with that as well. So um, <laughs> I've never, never, never worked a day in my life. Getting a fiver back from Diesel. Uh, <laughs> David? I did a bit of, um, did a bit of block paving uh, work. Believe it or not, I worked in a croissant factory. Uh, it's true. <laughs> True story. Um, <laughs> I worked 3 a.m. till 3 p.m. Uh, for Monday to Friday for six weeks in a really? question factory. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought I was worried about being typecast after that, but I actually did. And it took me years to recover because I, I couldn't bear the smell of croissants, but I, have, I am now fully recovered. Um, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm 15 years clean. So uh, what about you, Tommy? Any jobs? Uh, did a bit of removal in when I was uh, younger. Worked in a, in a sports shop. Uh, did a load of surveys, so I had to find out, you know, about gas providers off people, um, mobile phone providers. Um, I had to ask 100 women what shampoo they preferred, and the number one answer was, how the fuck do you get in here? 
Um, <laughs> I told you. Um, I don't check the questions, so I never uh, know if it's bullshit or not. Just normal stuff, really. Pauli, have we got um, probably room for a couple more? There's one at the back. Croissant factory, like uh, Sam, Cap uh, Captain of Wales. Um, I'm told I've read somewhere that you're you are in fact half English. Um, and is it true that you supported England in the 2003 World Cup and wore an England shirt during all their games? No, my dad's my dad. Um, yeah, no, I remember watching the England final because Johnny Wilkinson was a hero. <coughs> excuse me, was a hero of mine growing up. Um, so my dad uh, was he's fully English, you know, would, would always support, he was football, he was, never rugby, so he always supported England football, but um, yeah, my, my mum was born in England, but she considers herself Welsh, because she's got Welsh parents, so because uh, Warburton apparently is from up north, they're from Bury, my family, so my grandparents were from there, and they got family still up there and that, so um, yeah, I'm sort of half and half, but I can I consider myself Welsh, you know, I can never play for, for anyone else other than Wales, of course, but um, no, yeah, I think most of the Welsh guys were well, Shanks, you're English qualified as well, aren't you? Yeah, but I chose the harder route. Um, <laughs> too easy. You've got to challenge yourself, haven't you? Um, how come you've never been asked to do any advertising for uh, Warburton's Bread? No, apparently... Um, Don't touch it, do you? I'm not sure if this was... Um, no, I do, I do crumpets are good. Um, I do... Um, somebody... I'm not sure, I think my agent or something said, Braces want to do something, uh, and they wanted to have the, like, the headline... Even Warburton chooses braces or something like that. Nice. Uh, but I thought that would be a little bit. I got nothing, no affiliation with Warburton's bread, but I thought that would ruffle a few feathers. So decided against that one. You don't want to fuck around with these bread companies, mate. <laughs> <laughs> should, we have a, should we have one more question? If there's anyone. As long as it's good. There's one in the middle. There he goes. As long as it's good, yeah? Yeah, we, if, if this is good... We're going to sign off with this one, mate. This is the end of the big event for us. It's going to be a great question. Um, um, Sam, would you, would you want to go on the uh, Lions tour if we went to Argentina? Someone asked me this the other day, actually. I don't think it'll happen because, well, one, history. They've only ever gone to, the, to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And two, Lions tours need so much money these days. It's ridiculous. And apparently, over the two-month period... From a money perspective, it's the highest grossing sporting team from a money perspective in the history of sport. You know, over that two month period, they bring in the most money out of every team. So I don't think at the moment, the way Argentina are, you could sell a tour commercially. Sponsors wouldn't get in on board. Don't mean to be too boring, but I don't think they would be able to finance the tour if they went to Australia because I don't think the money would come in. So they'd have to stick to the other three at the minute. Um, well, we've got to give some of these up for questions. There's one Forgot there. There's one there about the the rugby calendar. Um, there you are. Um, <laughs> to be fair, the bloke who's nicked that off the bloke who should have had it is much bigger than the bloke who should have had it. <laughs> Can you think of any other good questions we've had? Sparksy's question. I like Sparksy's question. Do you want the shirt at the back for Sparksy? Now, Sparksy is a woman, so if anyone steals this, um, I don't know. You just can't do that stuff anymore, right? Um, Shanks, lob it over to Sparksy. There it is. There you go, babe. Love you so <laughs> we used to have this game where you're in a restaurant and whenever you ordered something, it was just a shitty little game, but you had to call her babe. It's so annoying. Can I have a Diet Coke, please, babe? And it's funny because if you're like, if you're like Bobby George, the darts player, it's like, I'll have a Diet Coke, please, babe. If you didn't say it, she'd be offended. But us two saying it was like, yeah, because I have a margarita, please, babe. And it's just, ah, oh, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, chewy. Let's try that to Chewy. 
Chewy, great question, mate. Great effort. Okay. I'm joking, but we've got to give it to someone. <laughs> Another um, great game is the Sorry game, which you can all play in a supermarket near you this week, which is got to have a trolley. You don't even have to have a trolley, you have a basket now. And it's, this is England, okay? So, or it might be the same in Wales. How many people can you make apologise to you, say sorry to you when they've done nothing wrong? In the end, in the end, we're walking around and we're just whacking our trolley into people. It's like, I'll break your leg. Bang! And they're like, sorry. And you're not allowed to say sorry back. You are not allowed to say sorry yourself. I'm, uh, it's brutal. It's this, brutal. This last one is, is going to the best dress here. Now, I know what you're thinking. John Paul Gaultier here at the front. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, it's going to the guy with the lion shirt on. Well done, boss. Well Round done. of applause well, for Well done for him. making the effort. Yeah. Right. I think, I think basically that, that wraps up this first live podcast. We are going to do, uh, be doing three more. The next dates are in January and February and the end of the season. Uh, just have to follow us on Twitter and the dates will be released fairly soon. Yeah, that's kind of it um, now, really. Yeah, th thank you uh, for our London Pride and Guinness for these live podcasts. For the pints. And for the huntsman and uh, and for the lovely ambiance here. You should have seen it before you guys turned up. You know, it was just bloody beautiful. But, you know, we decorated all this. Uh, like a hillbilly's wedding. Mm, it's lovely. Thank you all of you lot and thank you to Warby. Round of applause for Warby, please. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you. Ta-da. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.